Here we are. It is time to open up God's Word. We are in the middle of a recurring series that we call Live Free. In this series, we focus on the overlap between our spiritual maturity and discipleship to Jesus and our mental and emotional health and well-being. And in this this part of the recurring series in August, we have been focusing on relationships and how our relationships are dependent on or thrive when we are mental and emotionally healthy and how much good relationships feed our mental and emotional health. So relationships is kind of the key word in this August version of the series. And can we all agree relationships are hard? Right? They don't always come easily. In fact, maybe you've seen this bouncing around uh, the interwebs. Uh, what if Jesus' biggest miracle was just having 12 close friends in his 30s? I mean, that is no easy task. Now, some might say 11 close friends, but that's another whole sermon. Um, but relationships are hard. Good relationships are a gift. Sometimes they really do feel like a miracle, right? If we can actually have a few. Uh, But really, good relationships are the result of intentional effort and wise choices and spiritual and emotional maturity. Last week, we asked ourselves the question, who is this me I bring into every relationship? Uh, Self-awareness and getting to know the self that we bring into each of our relationships is important. I encourage you to check out that message from last week if you missed it, as it will help you get ready for today's message. And Kate's sermon from two weeks ago got our series off to a really strong start as she reminded us of how essential belonging is to each of us and to our mental and emotional health. And today, we're going to explore this question. What is it like to be in a relationship with me? What is it really like for the people around me to be in a relationship with me? Work relationship, friend relationship, marriage relationship, family relationship, you name it. What is it like to be in a relationship with me? Now, this is big. Man, uh, there's lots that could be said. We're only going to have time to tackle a couple of aspects of this, but they are foundational ones. that We chose them on purpose. If we want to answer this question, and we want that answer to be positive and healthy and life-giving, there are two crucial, pivotal areas where, if we're honest, we tend to pull back, but we actually need to lean in. And those two areas are these. Conversation with empathy and conflict with vulnerability. This takes patience. This takes courage. But if we can grow in those two areas, all our relationships can benefit greatly. Experts study this. They write about it. But we intuitively know that these are important. There's just simply no getting around these two challenges or getting around developing these two skills. And fortunately, Jesus and His way prepare us and help us to do exactly that. So let's dive in. We're going to start by talking about conversation with empathy. Conversation, the activity of being present with another person or persons and sharing ourselves and receiving others sharing from themselves. 
Such conversations could be fun and lighthearted. They could be deep and serious. They could be constructive in order to see progress on a project. They could be about expressing feelings, bonding and friendship, or finding forgiveness. Conversations come with all kinds of purposes and in all shapes and sizes. But whatever good conversations look like, they are meant to be genuine, present, and caring. Think about what Jesus once said. Your love for one another, he said to his disciples, will prove to the world that you're my followers, that you're my disciples. It's John 13. Sure, love must include, surely love must include some real conversation, right? If we're to love the way Jesus says, actually love one another in a really true and genuine way, there's no way that can't include real conversation with other real human beings, right? Uh, With actual empathy, feeling and connecting with one another. Uh, There's no such loving uh, that uh, includes ignoring each other or only casually acknowledging one another, right? True love must go deeper than that. But unfortunately, this kind of ignoring or casually acknowledging is really what's becoming the norm in our world. Sherry Turkle is a sociologist, a psychologist, and a teacher. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. Kate Mangano handed me this book as she knew what we were covering uh, this Sunday, and it has a lot of interesting things to say. In this book, uh, the author makes the case that face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing that we do. Being fully present to one another, we learn to listen in, in such conversations. We learn to develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard and of being understood, that nothing can quite replace human-to-human, actual face-to-face conversation. But these days, she writes, uh, we find ways around that conversation. We hide from each other through our screens, even though, as Kate mentioned a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we are constantly, quote-unquote, connected to each other. For on our screen, she writes, we are tempted to be present, to present ourselves as we would like to be. And that's the problem, is we, as a society at least, and I don't want to lump us all in, but let's just, let's just for the sake of argument talk about where it feels like and where studies seem to be showing generation after generation, we seem to be drifting in a certain direction. And that is that we're becoming less able to actually present ourselves to others as we actually are but instead only from a distance as we'd like to be. And we're getting less and less good at this thing we're talking about here, conversation. And it's only as we can accept who we are and then be with others as we are that we can accept and give love as well. So it's a serious blockage for us because it blocks our ability to really give and receive love. And love is the key, as Jesus said earlier. In a chapter in this book called The Flight from Conversation, she writes this, many of the things we all struggle with in love and work can be helped by conversation. Without conversations, studies show we are less empathic, less connected, less creative, less uh, and less fulfilled. We are, she summarizes, diminished. We are diminished. She goes on to talk about the rise in social anxiety, the trouble that we seem to be increasingly have in reading human emotions. We're losing something essential. She calls it out, and we're focusing on it here, empathy. 
The ability to converse with another is the ability to connect with and feel with another. We don't know how to forgive, partly because we're not even developing the ability to feel for another person, how we may have been hurt by them, or perhaps how we might need to ask for forgiveness, because we've hurt them, that studies are showing we're just becoming more and more numb to the feelings of other people, an inability to put ourselves in their shoes. We don't know how to relate to others. We are diminished. We're being kind of dialed down in these skills, uh, at least across the board. She goes on to observe, technology gives us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Every time, she says, you check your phone in company with another, you instead of having that face-to-face conversation, you turn and check your phone. What you gain is a hit of stimulation, a neurochemical shot. But what you lose is what a friend, teacher, parent, lover, or coworker just said, meant, or felt. This kind of reflection brings us back to the question, what's it like to be in a relationship with me, right? Am I guilty of being partially present, keeping people at a distance, or losing my ability to connect with them? In fact, she says, continuous partial attention, is what she calls it, is now the new normal. This is how we navigate our relationships generally as a society. Consistent, partial attention. Rare is full and selfless attention, truly with another person. Now, in light of all that, just some observations about how this is a challenge for us in our culture right now. Consider this description of the first Christians. All the way back in the book of Acts, we read that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Later, we read that Jesus was taught and shared from house to house. What do we think was happening in all of that togetherness, going from house to house and getting to know each other? It's not hard to imagine that they conversed. And they really got to know each other. But they didn't have smartphones, right? And there was no internet. So it was a lot easier. Well, that might be true in some ways. But what we now, as people of Jesus, need, need to maybe stop ourselves and realize is if there are things that are getting in the way of the most essential things, and if all of society is kind of suffering because those things are getting in the way, then we have an opportunity to be people who realize that and then begin to make adjustments. Like, man, if, if, if my constant digital connectedness or my, uh, my addiction to scrolling and, and checking and, uh, on my phone is getting in the way of this thing called conversation and empathizing and connecting with other people, then maybe I need to make some adjustments so that I can do the thing that actually we all need and are really, really suffering without. I wonder sometimes, and I bet you wondered it too, how many of the ills, how many of the challenges, how many of the, of the things that we just wish weren't true in our society right now would be a lot better if we could slow down and talk to each other, right? But that ability to slow down and talk to each other, that's a skill we have to develop and it's a conscious choice we have to make. That's why here at Outlook, we've 
really uh, become so committed to slowing down our calendar, to slowing down what we do, and making sure that we're providing every opportunity we can for you to circle up in small groups. Because we believe we are important to each other and essential to each other's spiritual growth. And just like you heard in the video, I'm thinking about one of the things Emma said when she said, if you're scared, I still encourage you to give it a try, right? There's a lot of forces in us and outside us that kind of tell us, okay, I guess I can agree that's a good idea, but I'm not sure it's for me. But in the end, from that that lack of connection, we really end up suffering for it. So creating a space where we can slow down enough to talk and to listen, to connect, because we believe people are important, even divine. It is central to our view of the world that human beings are wondrous creatures made in God's image, divine and deeply precious to Him. So developing quality connection so we can foster true belonging takes intention. So here's a question. When it comes to my relationships, am I skimming or am I swimming? Right? Am I providing everyone a little jolt of continuous but partial attention? Uh, I have a lot of people, perhaps, that I message with or that I like their posts or that I kind of stay just, just involved enough in their life that we don't forget that each other exists. But I'm not really swimming. I'm not really going deep. I'm not really spending any time with very much of anyone. Now, we can't swim with everyone in our lives, but man, we need some fellow swimmers. We need some people with whom we can truly converse with some empathy. Back to that book for just one more uh, quote. She says, there is another way to think about conversation, one that's less about information and more about creating a space to be explored. If you're interested in hearing about, or you are interested in hearing about how another person approaches things, his or her opinions and associations, man, every human being is an entire universe unto themselves, aren't they? A A whole story and a whole set of perspectives that can be fascinating to get to know. She says, in this kind of conversation, you try to read your friends in a different way. Perhaps you look into their faces, attend to their body language, even allow for silence. All that's the kind of thing that I have to imagine happens when you go from house to house, when you eat together, when you enjoy your life with God with glad and sincere hearts, like we read in the book of Acts, when you gather in a group of fellow Christians and just be together. People, any and all people, are made in God's image. This is the underlying theological truth that we can't forget. So cultivating healthy and just relationships with them is worth our loving effort and attention. That is, big picture for a moment, let's let's widen the scope for a moment, that is why we as disciples of Jesus are so intolerant of things like prejudice or hate or violence. Because real love, which is what we're all aiming for, simply doesn't allow for that. And we see how it destroys human souls, precious souls for whom Christ died. So the disciples of Jesus bring people together. Don't, we don't tear them apart. This is central to who we are. It's the love that Jesus said would show the world the reality of him in our lives. Something's missing until we can go deep with some trusted others. Bring people together and be people who are brought together. 
So we're here to create such spaces here at Outlook uh, as best as we can, where we can have conversation with empathy, really connect with each other. But there's a second half here. Let's tackle it for a moment. That's conflict with vulnerability. That takes courage. And for most of us, there are a few things we like to avoid more than conflict, right? I mean, of course, of course. It's not enjoyable. And if it is, well, you know, maybe there's a problem with you. I don't know. I don't know. Some people really enjoy it, and they're probably really good at it. And maybe that's a good thing. In Romans 12, Paul wrote, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, some really healthy caveats here, right? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This doesn't mean we won't have conflict with others. In fact, it seems to mean that we will. It's guaranteed. And when we do, we should take the lead. We should take the lead as far as it depends on me. And it does depend on me. I have a role to play in every one of my relationships. When we do have conflict, we get to take the lead in lovingly resolving it. Not stepping back from it, whistling past it, trying to avoid it. I think of what Jesus said at one point. He goes, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that a brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. So in other words, you're, you're at church, you're at the temple in his case, but you're there, you're, you're in worship, you're, you're, you're giving your offering. He says, oh, you remember, I got, I got a problem with a friend, a, a brother or a sister. He says, stop right there and attend to it. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is sharing a profound truth. It's important to God that we attend to our relationships with others. Why? Because he knows that if our heart hardens toward giving grace to others, our same heart will have a hard time receiving grace from him. It'll become clogged and closed to it. So keeping those hearts open and letting that grace flow is central to not only our healthy relationships with people, but our healthy relationship with God. See, sometimes we get a little, little upside down when it comes to peacemaking and peacekeeping. Right? There's this, uh, we read, there's a couple of places in the New Testament where uh, we read, for instance, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. James picks up this theme much later. When peacemakers plant seeds of peace, they will harvest justice. We like, yeah, peacemakers, that makes sense. But we may tend to be peacekeepers, right? And there is a difference. Doing whatever we think will keep the peace, which is an illusion. It's a false peace. We think if, we, if everyone stays not upset, then we keep the peace, and now we've been what Jesus is talking about. But a peacemaker does the hard work of bringing real and actual peace, which can sometimes and really almost always mean if there's a conflict, we got to work through it, because on the other side of that working through it is actual peace. That's where we want to go, and it won't be easy. But this idea of denying it and keeping a false peace, well, that's tempting, but totally unfruitful. The absence of overt conflict should not be mistaken for love and understanding. And ultimately, it's love and understanding that we're aiming for. And in fact, having conflict, even in your most intimate relationships, let's think of marriage, for instance, or parenting. Conflict doesn't mean that there's something wrong or unhealthy in and of itself. Adam Grant writes in his book, Think Again, don't shy away from constructive conflict. The absence of conflict is not harmony, it's apathy. 
When there's a total absence of conflict, it means everyone just stopped caring. I'm not going to bother with anything that we might disagree on because I've just totally checked out. Elsewhere in the book, he makes the observation, it's not how often you argue with someone, for instance, but how you argue. Not how often, but how. And this idea of apathy, man, that, that's, that's the opposite of what we Christians are meant to be about. We are meant to care, right? We are meant to engage. We are meant to be people who don't check out, but stay in it and do all we can in our relationships. So we slow down and we really connect. We speak and we listen. Avoiding conflict doesn't spare or save our relationships. It stunts them. And so we can be people who are learning to get better and better at this essential skill of navigating conflict. Everyone else is avoiding it. It's a fire and they're running from it. We're running into it. Because we know on the other side is real growth and genuine, caring, loving relationships. Everyone seems to agree that there are some best practices in resolving conflict, things like challenging the idea without disrespecting or dismissing or demeaning the person, having a readiness to own our own responsibility in the, in the conflict and empathize with the other's viewpoint, stay calm and non-defensive so that, the other, uh, so that no one um, as unnecessarily escalates the argument, right? Or you could just sum all that up in Romans 12.10, be truly affectionate. In showing love for one another, compete with each other in giving mutual respect. Mutual respect. That's how lo- love, it turns love from just being this fluffy thing that we all think is a nice idea to something that's gritty and real. Mutual respect. What a world we would have if we could give each other a modicum of mutual respect as human beings made in God's image, God's image trying to figure out life and how it works. If we're honest, we'll admit loving people, those who've said yes to Jesus and those who haven't yet, it's often difficult. Jesus knows this. Here's another challenge that he gives us. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even scoundrels do that much. If you're friendly only to your friends, how do you, how are you different from anyone else? When it comes to our relationships, we are meant to be, because we have a different kind of love than anything this world has to offer, we have it thanks to Jesus, the implication is that we are to be different than everyone else. Not because we're somehow better, but because we've discovered real love and real life, right? And so when we can take that, just to sum up, when we can take that idea that we have been given real love and real life, and apply it to the real skills that are necessary in relationships, conversation with empathy, and the patience that that requires. Conflict with vulnerability and the courage that that requires. When we dedicate ourselves to not being perfect at these, but getting better and better at these, we are learning real love and developing truly healthy relationships. Few things will more dramatically improve our relationships than developing these skills. And they help us get good answers to that pivotal question that we could ask ourselves, friends, any day of the week. What's it like to be in a relationship with me? What's it like for so-and-so to be in a relationship with me? Or my boss, or my coworker, my kids, or my spouse, or my friend, or my neighbor. What's it like for them to be in a relationship with me? Explore the answer to that question and the kind of empathy and vulnerability that we all need will begin to develop if we honestly tackle it in just that way. And prayerfully talk to the Lord about it as well. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your bread and your cup 
here. And I want to point out one last scripture that I think is a beautiful way to reflect on what we've just talked about and what we're about to do. Every week we uh, pause to remind ourselves what true love is. In 1 John 3.16, we're reminded that we are to learn to love everyone. uh, John, pointing to Jesus on his cross, writes this. This is how we know what love is. The whole world's trying to figure it out. What is love? How do we do it? What's it really look like? John points to the cross and says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to do the same. And so as we take the bread this morning, let us say these first words together. This is how we know what love is. One more time. This is how we know what love is. Let's take the bread together. And as we take the cup, let's say the rest of that sentence. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. One more time. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Let's take the cup and thank him for that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for love. It's both a gift we receive and a skill we learn. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to be good students of yours. Because there's no skill quite as important, quite as essential. This world needs more of it. This world is searching for it. You've defined it for us in the cross, and you've provided it for us through the cross. So Lord, we ask sincerely that as we survey each of our relationships, as Holy Spirit You put your arm around us and begin to gently point to each of the people in our lives that we interact with, that we have a relationship with, both those most intimate and and maybe those in a wider circle. And we begin to, with you, ask that question, what is it like for them to be in a relationship with me? Jesus, we trust by your Spirit you'll gently teach us the answer to that question in ways that we can build bridges in each of those relationships, that we can Um, find that we can help them thrive because that will contribute greatly to our mental and emotional health, which you care deeply about, and it will contribute to the health of those others as well. Help us to be conduits of that love. Help us to be the ones who take the first step, who, who are the catalyst for just that kind of maturity and growth. Help us to take those steps when no, maybe it seems like no one else will. Thanks for answering this prayer, Lord, in your own way and in your own time. And I pray your blessing on each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for choosing to worship together today. It's been great to see you all. We love you. God bless you. And have a great week. Go in peace.